In June, the U.S. Supreme Court effectively ended the legal consideration of race in university admissions when it decided in favor of students for fair admissions in cases against the University of North Carolina and Harvard College. The decision goes against decades of legal precedent, and it could threaten progress toward educational equity. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Valerie Montgomery Rice, President and CEO of Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Montgomery Rice has co-authored a perspective article about moving forward with efforts to support diversity in medicine. Dr. Montgomery Rice, how have medical schools used affirmative action and what's been the goal of affirmative action programs? Well, thank you all for having me. I salute my uh, colleagues for helping us to write this perspective on the impact of the U.S. Supreme Court decision. Affirmative action has been used as an opportunity to ensure that we had representation based on race, ethnicity, and clearly gender in the healthcare professionals, which we believe is critical to improving healthcare outcomes for all citizens and persons in the United States and the world. And so in the admissions process, we've really used it as an opportunity to first understand where the gaps were and then to develop programs that created opportunities for persons who were underrepresented to compete for spots, to be enrolled in medical school or graduate programs and biomedical scientists, et cetera. So why is diversity of student bodies important when it comes to preparing students to be competent clinicians? What do students gain from sharing classrooms with peers from backgrounds that are unlike their own? There's a lot of good data that really supports, not just in medical school classrooms, but around all tables of decision that having diverse perspectives increases the likelihood of creating solutions that will be more broadly able to be implemented across diverse populations. And healthcare is not much different from that. The great thing about having a diverse healthcare workforce environment and a learning environment which creates that is that you get to have people who've had different life experiences to bring that to the table when you're trying to come up with solutions to care for patients. And what I found, even in my experience at Harvard Medical School, that I was able to provide a different perspective on how to address an issue dealing with a patient because of my life experiences as an African-American woman growing up in the South. It also has been documented by the Liaison Committee on Medical Education that it really does matter that a culturally heterogeneous learning environment makes a difference in ensuring that we are representing the communities that we are trying to serve. What factors have continued to contribute to the underrepresentation of members of marginalized groups in medicine, despite the recent attention to the value of diversity? I think we can think about the many, many years of the impact of slavery, redlining in communities, discriminatory practices that have put in structural barriers to people having access to education that begins in the K through 12 
that extends to limited opportunities for college. And so there's a pipeline impact, but there's also a pathway impact. And when you are looking at something like medical education, or you're looking at people who could become a biomedical scientist, we understand that there are rigorous courses and opportunities that persons need to engage in in order to be prepared to be that type of professional. One example, when you look at the number of high schools in this country that offer calculus as a part of the K through 12 educational opportunity, everyone knows that in order to compete in engineering, math, medicine, PhD scientist program, you should have had calculus or at least pre-calculus upon graduating from high school so that when you go to college, you are greater prepared for the rigors of the courses that are going to be offered and required for you to compete in those curricula for biomedical scientists, for a PhD, for an MD degree. And what we find, though, is, is that many high schools, particularly in underserved communities and communities where underrepresented students come from, they don't have access to those type of courses. So it's not just a pipeline of the students, it's a pathway for them to be exposed to these opportunities early in their career to be able to compete. In your article, you describe ways that medical school admissions committees can continue to support diversity while complying with the court's recent rulings. Could you elaborate on what factors schools can still consider when they're looking to select a class? The one thing that I will continue to state as well as my colleagues, we've said physicians take an oath to do no harm. And when you look at the cessation of the prevailing admissions policies, if you stop these admission policies, we actually may do harm to the society particularly those communities that have long experienced injustices. So the things that we are recommending is that admissions committees should emphasize a comprehensive review of applicants, particularly their life journeys. One needs to recognize that although scholarly accomplishment and raw intellect are prerequisites for medical school admissions, they don't necessarily always align with the other attributes that are equally important. Empathy, perseverance, a learning-oriented mindset, good listening skills, a focus on teamwork, collegiality. All of those things are important to become a successful physician. And we believe in something called cognitive diversity. And for us, we look at that as this opportunity to take in consideration people's life experiences. Unfortunately, in this country, many of our life experiences come because of our race and our gender and the zip codes in which we live. We believe that those life experiences are critical and should be taken into consideration when admissions committees are looking at the diversity of opportunity to recruit students into their entering classes. Secondly, committees should also consider how applicants in essays or interviews can articulate the effects of a racialized acculturation on their personal journeys and be able to highlight that and how 
understanding their life experiences, how that can make a contribution to the institution or the profession. And many times that cannot be captured in an MCAT score or a GPA. And thirdly, we believe that committees should look at and really stress how are they going to assess character. Character meaning that how do you look at applicants' life histories and the opportunities that they have experienced that have created resilience for them? And how will you look at something that many people have started to think about, adversity scores? And those are scores that really can be applied to anyone because you don't have to just be someone who's economically challenged or always come from an underserved community to have experienced adversity that can help you to become a more well-rounded, open, caring provider. Finally, what's been the role of medical schools at historically Black colleges and universities in training a diverse physician workforce? And how do you see that role evolving after the court's decision? I know that I can speak very confidently on behalf of myself and the other three historically Black medical colleges in that we have always utilized a holistic admissions process. And in particular for us at Morehouse School of Medicine, GPA and MCAT are only two out of 10 of the criterion that we use when we select someone from medical school. And it is because we believe that those other attributes really do come into play equally to whether or not someone is going to be a great physician. And we're trying to graduate persons who are going to be great physicians. The four historically Black medical schools contribute significantly to bringing in particularly Black and Brown students into the healthcare workforce. And although we only account for a small percentage, we clearly account for greater than 20% of the number of Black and Brown students who matriculate and graduate from medical school. It is our hope that the other predominantly white institutions continue on their pathway or utilizing the opportunities they put forth to continue to be a partner in recruiting underserved communities. When we look at what we think is most important, we believe that this is a crisis in this country. The health disparities that are experienced based on race and ethnicity and we know that that occurs in communities that are not necessarily tied to the four HBCUs or in our locales. So it really will take all the other 150 plus medical schools to do their part to make sure that they're not only educated and training black and brown students and graduating them, but that their workforce of all of their students that they're educated and training are culturally competent to care for the patients that are going to be in front of them, regardless of their race and ethnicity. Thank you, Dr. Montgomery Rice.